Just like a lot of your medical problems show up acutely, same thing here, you suddenly get a bill in the mail for $20,000, right? Or you get a letter from your insurance company saying that your prescription has been denied coverage, or you're supposed to be at an appointment at 2.30 and suddenly you realize that you don't have any way to take off work or get to that appointment. So those things do often catch patients by surprise and show up in an acute way. And it's very important to have an organization like ours that's there to provide that support for that problem that from the patient perspective just landed on their doorstep. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy action and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm honored to speak with my colleague and CEO of Patient Advocate Foundation, Alan Balsh. During his time out of the office, he enjoys traveling and creating memories with his family. Thank you so much, Alan, for joining me today to start this season where we are taking a deeper look at case management and the field of social work in celebration of our organization's 25th anniversary. Just as a background for anyone who isn't familiar with PAF, can you share what type of services do we provide? Great to be here, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me and for your work on this podcast. PAF is a 25-year-old patient service organization. Um, In 2020, we served uh, nearly 200,000 patients in total. Our core set of services are around direct patient service. The areas in which we're growing are in those services that are about reaching lots of patients through education and empowerment and research. So the heart of who we are is our direct patient service, and that includes our case management, financial assistance funds, as well as our copay relief program. When we talk about the number of patients that we're serving, that's really in the context of those direct patient service programs. And then we have a variety of other programs that are more about serving whole communities or reaching larger populations, really wraps in our health equity programs, our patient impact programs, our events uh, and workshops that we do, patient education empowerment, and then we have a very growing and robust health services research enterprise. Can you explain what exactly does case management mean and why is it important to patients and caregivers? Sure. So case management is actually the heart of the organization. It's the service around which the organization was born And all of our programs from our inception have grown out of that core service area. So we started as a case management organization and continue to have that as a core service. About 22 to 23,000 patients we serve a year in our case management program. Um, We call it case management. There's lots of different terms to describe the type of work that we and others do. Sometimes it's called navigation. Sometimes it's called, you know, patient advocacy. We prefer the term case management for the work we do because I think that better captures the intensity and the duration and the personalization of the experience. So think of it like an emergency room for acute access and affordability and health equity issues. And we are not just telling people where to go for help, but actually doing the work for the patient, like you would do for your mom or your sister or your loved one, if they were having trouble paying a car bill or having trouble paying a utility bill, you wouldn't just say, hey, mom, call here. You would actually get on the phone, find some place. You would help them fill out the application. You would do the work with them and on their behalf. And that that's really what we mean by case management, to help a patient address a particular issue or problem they're having that is a barrier to their care. Our case manager goes to work trying to 
solve that problem on behalf of that patient with them and for them, and then get them back to their care and treatment. I love what you said with them and for them, because in my mind, that's giving me the imagery of a partnership, you know, people working together. Like you said, you know, you wouldn't just throw the phone number at a parent, you would walk alongside them on that phone call, really empowering them. You also asked, why is it important to patients? And I think if you think about the healthcare system and all the potential problems and pitfalls that a patient may have, particularly one that is vulnerable, is low income, or doesn't have adequate access to transportation, or that are isolated, that don't have a lot of caregiver support around them. It's a lot of different barriers and challenges that a patient's going to have as they're trying to navigate the waters of a very complex disease like cancer or HIV AIDS or hepatitis. So everything from their insurance access to their employment stability to their, you know, to medical debt and their ability to pay for things, um, their cost of living uh, issues. Those are the types of things that we help patients work through and address. Another way to think of it is social needs navigation. Having somebody who represents that patient's best interests and works specifically to solve issues around their insurance needs, their their real lived experience needs, their social needs, like food, housing, utilities, transportation needs. There's a lot of help and support that you may get in the health system around your clinical needs, but the health system oftentimes doesn't think about well, what about their pocketbook issues? What about their housing issues, their food issues? And those are just as important to the success of a patient's clinical journey and the outcomes of their care as their clinical dimensions. But we sort of think of those things as outside of the healthcare system or not necessarily the responsibility of the healthcare system, especially when you think about social determinants of health. Those are the issues that we help patients address. And the health system itself is not well designed, nor is the insurance system well designed to help patients with those types of issues. And so that's why the work we do as case managers and social needs navigators, if you want to call it something else, um, is really important to patients. In those four walls of a, of a doctor's office, those needs aren't addressed. So the fact that we are able to shine light on that and then provide solutions. Yeah. And and just like going back to sort of the emergency room analogy, just like a lot of your medical problems show up acutely, same thing here. You suddenly get a bill in the mail for $20,000, right? Or you get a letter from your insurance company saying that your prescription has been denied coverage, or you're supposed to be at an appointment at 2.30 and suddenly you realize that you don't have any way to take off work or get to that appointment. So those things do often catch patients by surprise and show up in an acute way. And it's very important to have an organization like ours that's there to provide that support for that problem that from the patient perspective just landed on their doorstep and that it's a big problem for them, needs to be addressed. And it's a source of huge distress and uncertainty and instability. A patient dealing with other things, it's very easy to kind of put off those things because your first thing that you're thinking is, am I going to live? Am I, what's going to happen with my family? And and so your focus is naturally going to be on other things. And then other parts of life in the world catch up with you. Usually when I call 800 numbers now, it's an automated menu. I'm not speaking to a person. You know, I'm like, how do I get through through a person? So what is that experience like when a patient in one of these situations calls into PAF? Yeah. So for us, and this is again, why we 
use the word case management, we think of it as more like precision navigation or personalized help. So it's about getting the right help to the right patient at the right time. We actually document and track over 250 different problems and issues that a patient have and corresponding mm -hmm. resolutions. So we, we can't do everything, but we've got a pretty vast array of problems and issues that we will work to address. Um, but that starts with a process of listening to and documenting that real and immediate problem the patient is facing. So when the case manager is in the process of talking more with the patient, understanding their problem, they will often uncover that, yes, they called with one problem, but there may be a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. You may have a, a hospital bill that you can't pay, and certainly they'll help you overcome that problem, but it also might mean that what you need is to change insurance plans, for example. So most of the time it's actually two different problems <laughs> that our case managers end up trying to help with, and sometimes it's more. The, other thing about the experience that patients can expect is uh, is we don't know how long it's going to take to help mm -hmm. a patient. So there's not like the clock's not ticking. There's not like we can only help you for a day or two or whatever. The, actually, it actually takes us on average 12 days to work mm -hmm. a case. Um, and we our case managers average 14 contacts per case with wow. or on behalf of the patient. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's, this is over the phone, but it's highly personalized. Patients are assigned a case manager. That's their case manager through the duration of the case. So they have one point of contact. They're your active liaison. They work on your behalf in the health system. It's no cost to the patient. We keep it confidential, highly personalized to a particular set of immediate and urgent needs that that patient or their caregiver has related to the diagnosis and treatment of acute, chronic, or life-threatening disease. You mentioned usually patients come with one issue and a case manager is actually able to identify that there's something else at play. So what are those characteristics of a really effective PAF case manager that can dive in and find, you know, the, the, the details of all of it and really getting to the root of the problem for, for the patients that we serve? Yeah, so we have about uh, you know, 45 to 55 uh, people on that team with doing intake and doing case management. Um, and really, it's about having a passion for helping people and really delivering that personalized service, being a relentless advocate on someone's behalf, uh, not willing to take no <laughs> uh, for an answer. Um, certainly, you have to, it helps to have knowledge of some segment of the system. So uh, many of our case managers have broad knowledge of you know, financial um, the, the safety net, for example, or they have broad knowledge of sort of the insurance system, or they have broad knowledge of the coding and billing system. Um, so they usually have some specialized subset of knowledge that speaks to their history or where they worked or where they received their training or where they worked professionally. Through the process of working a case, they work together behind the scenes. So a lot of times they're learning and sharing expertise uh, across our case managers. And then you know, we do try to give them the freedom and the flexibility to really have a patient-centered approach. Good patient experience in the healthcare system really rests on them making them feel respected, making them feel listened to and heard, and making them feel like the care and attention they're receiving is personalized to their needs and who they are as people and individuals. In addition to case managers having a diverse knowledge of health systems and the problems in the health system it helps to have uh, case managers who have background in particular disease areas and also diverse ethnic and racial and geographic backgrounds. You need that diversity of perspectives to be able yeah. to really connect with people one-on-one. -on -one and, and that's important work. 
In the past, when I've been faced with an issue, sometimes I didn't think about my resources. You know, sometimes I didn't think about reaching out for help to navigate these. You know, I've received medical bills in the past and thought, oh, I just have to pay this because it has my name on it. It's it's mailed to me and I, I have to do this. You know, so how do people find out about our services so that they can reach out and start taking advantage of them? Just as diverse as the problems are that patients face and our attempts to try to help them is a similar diversity in who finds us and how they find us. Um, The most common way is actually through other nonprofits. We are Patient Advocate Foundation, so we are disease agnostic. Um, We help patients who have any number of chronic, life-threatening, debilitating diseases. In fact, in last year alone, we help patients representing over 600 different disease areas. We have a lot of other patient advocacy groups who are disease specific, who are the front line, if you will, the primary care uh, from a patient advocacy perspective to a particular disease community. And they often have a forward facing presence, a 1-800 number or call counselors or patient navigators or some service that they offer where people are calling in to get help. And just like if you, you know, go to your primary care doc and you're you say, I've got this problem, they might say, oh, you need to go to the emergency room or you know, <laughs> hang up and dial 911. We are that emergency room or 911 for that nonprofit advocacy community. And then after that is sort of a, it's a mix of different things. You know, patients find us through friends and family. They find us through a nurse or a social worker at their hospital or clinic. They find us through a, a media story or reading about us in the newspaper or an article. That makes sense. You know, a diversity of different places and resources where people would go as that first response. And then those first responders are able to to connect them to us. And who are those people? You know, who are the patients that that we serve? I'll sort of break it down by a couple different types of patients that we serve. Probably the most common theme is their low income. Now, we don't have an income test for our case management. So there is no eligibility criteria tied to income or income status or anything like that. But the average income of the patients that we serve in case management is about $24,000 a year household income. And most of them come from a household of two or less. So small household with limited income, 83% have some insurance, uh, 83 to 85%. uh, And that insurance is sort of equal portions of Medicaid, Medicare, group health insurance, you know, employer-sponsored insurance, and a very small percentage of patients that are uh, insured through individual plans, uh, like the marketplace. Mm -hmm. The one thing that did change last year, and probably COVID-related, we saw a pretty big uptick in our uninsured patient population. Mm -hmm. So that has has been sitting around 10% of our total patient population in case management had jumped up to about 17% this year. So we do serve patients who don't have insurance. Pretty interesting diversity by age. Most of them are 36 or older, but you know there's a pretty good mix of 36 to 55, 56 to 75. So they're not necessarily elderly or young. Uh, 60% have a cancer diagnosis, but as I noted about that you have 600 other diseases yeah. represented in the case mix there. About a quarter are disabled, about 28% or so are employed, about a quarter are retired, and about 20% are unemployed. So again, a lot of diversity across age, across employment status, across insurance status. And then finally, for race race and ethnicity, about 25% of the patients we served last year were um, African-American, about 55% Caucasian, about 11% Hispanic Latino, and then uh, various mixes and percentage of other races and ethnicities. 
It's so it's been 25 years of serving, you know, so why and how has PAF stayed so important and grown so much over these past 25 years? We started as a direct patient service organization and we've stayed true to that mission and we've added services like financial aid and copay as we've grown over the years and as we've seen that need arise born out of that case management service. But, you know, we've also been adding uh, services around education and empowerment and research to really take what we've learned from helping those people one-on-one and learn from them in the collective and in the aggregate and figure out how can we help more people um, through research, really understanding the science of case management and patient navigation, the science of patient preferences, the science of financial toxicity and the and the impact of financial instability on a patient's care journey. So we've been growing in our mission as we've grown in size, but also stay true to our core mission of really providing one-on-one assistance to those with chronic, life-threatening, and debilitating diseases. I guess it's bittersweet that we are are not only still serving that critical role that we've but we've also grown in our ability to serve in that role because it only reflects the sad fact that our system has also grown as you know as the most expensive and complicated in the world we're, we're still number one at that and so that means we provide that help with the cost and complexity of the system obviously what paf does is important to the everyday lives of like you said, over hundreds of thousands of patients. What has led you to this work and continues to drive you to do this every day? I've been part of PAF for almost 13, 14 years now as a board member and then as CEO. And so not only have I known about PAF for 20 years, I've been part of the organization for almost, um, gosh, 14 years now. Yeah, well, it's so rewarding to be part of PAF's mission and the work we do every day. The idea of helping just one person in a deep and meaningful way really resonates with me. And I know that's why people get into healthcare, you know, as a doctor or in other ways. I guess my own journey professionally, I've been in healthcare for almost 20 years now. I've known about PAF during my entire Mm. uh, 20-year healthcare journey as a professional. So I have certainly had many, if you've been treated in the healthcare system or know somebody that has, you know somebody who's had the types of problems that we're talking about here, mm-hmm. transportation, housing, food, insurance issue, you know, struggles with understanding how to use their insurance, you know, uh, surprise medical bills. We've all seen that up close and personal. When I've seen those issues or experienced them in my own life or my family's and friend's life, I've always known PAF was there mm-hmm. as a resource to help those patients, you know, who need that kind of assistance, particularly, you know, members of my own family. I, one of my earliest examples was watching my cousin at the age of 12 with a diagnosis of brain cancer. Mother was a nurse, uh, father was a construction worker, and the care and treatment, the whole process bankrupted them. They almost lost their house. They needed tons of support from lots of organizations. Pretty much everyone has seen how difficult our system can be when you have a disease that requires a lot of interaction with our system, because every point of interaction brings with it a logistical issue and a financial issue. You've got to pay for it. You've got to get there. And that brings in caregivers. It affects your employment. My aunt was no longer working and my cousin's father had lost his job. So they were both basically unemployed. Watching someone go through that and seeing the snowball effect, you know, the costs pile up around the cost of care and then seeing the cost pile up on your personal life when you're losing income 
because of lost wages and employment and disruption in your employment, and then seeing the the bills pile up that you have to pay, and then also trying to keep up with your housing payments and your cost of life, it quickly becomes unmanageable for, for so many people. It makes it really rewarding to be part of an organization that helps people in that really tangible, meaningful, and impactful way at such a personal level. Yeah. And speaking of how complicated and expensive our healthcare system is, what are some things that you would do to improve healthcare in this country? Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to limit myself to three. To start with, I think, you know, measurement drives activity, right? So what counts ultimately drives performance, it drives incentives. So I think one of the first things we should think about is making sure that, you know, that when we're measuring things, in the healthcare system, whether it's patient reported outcomes, whether it's quality measurement, whether we're gathering real world evidence to inform the system, you know, we need to be measuring things that matter most to patients based on their disease, their backgrounds, and their lived experience. So that would be the starting point. What are we measuring? Uh, are we measuring what matters to patients? And what are we doing with that information to make sure it gets back into the hands of patients in a way that's meaningful to them? both at the individual level and then collectively. So that would be the first one. The second one, and apropos our topic here about case management, I really would make financial and social needs navigation of standard of care in the U.S. healthcare system and, and make sure it is available to vulnerable and disenfranchised and disadvantaged populations early and often. I realize it's probably not scalable or tenable to be able to offer everybody uh, really intense one-on-one -on -one social needs navigation, but there's definitely subpopulations of patients for whom that type of uh, intervention and that type of service is really essential to them to be able to successfully navigate and have uh, equal access to a good opportunity for a positive health outcome in our healthcare system. And third, and finally, I guess this is a, a a big goal, but I would I would love <laughs> to bring person-centered care everywhere. So, you know, really thinking about how to organize healthcare delivery in such a way that it puts the patients at the center and gives them a clear role, gives them agency um, in the process of their care and treatment. And that really means if you sort of break that down, what does that actually mean in terms of the healthcare system? Yeah. It means uh, an emphasis on shared decision making. Uh, care planning and sort of tying it back to my first one, measurement in ways that really matter to patients and organizing our healthcare system around those types of interventions and making sure that those things are always in place for patients and that the, when those things happen, when decision-making, care planning and measurement happens, that they are designed to respect patients, to listen to patients, to make them feel seen and heard and to make them feel that there's a personal connection for their, them and that their care is being personalized to them. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.